Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. Matthew 24, if you've read it. So Jesus' ministry on earth is coming to an end, and this is his final, like, large block of teaching recorded, and it's called the Olivet Discourse. Um, And yes, if you're writing it and you have trouble to, yeah. I just thought I'd make it more difficult by like writing words that I say, putting them up there. Um, it's a fitting finale as he begins to tell his disciples of the things that are to come, right? He's done his ministry. He's told everyone about who God is, about his love, about his law. Then he's um, battled it out with the Pharisees and telling them how they're hypocrites. And now he's telling um, his disciples of, of the things to come. And some of these things will happen in their lifetime. And some of these things are concerning um, the, the end of days, the last days. Um, and there is a, a word for this, the biblical study of the end of days um, is called eschatology. Um, and, and there are some people who focus really heavily on eschatology, uh, the, the study of, of the end times. Um, and they can go into much greater detail than I can concerning these things. Um, I'm not one of these people who, like, I'm spending all my time in Revelation. Um, It is funny, though. I don't know how many times someone gets saved, and I'm like, go read the Word, and they're like, hey, I started reading Revelation. And you're like, okay, it's a great place to start. They're like, and I'm terrified. I'm like, well, don't start in Revelation. Um, And and as we go through this, you'll probably see why I'm not, um, I mean, I'm super into end times, trust me. I just don't focus heavily on it. Um, and you'll probably see why as we go. Um, and for one thing, uh, the reason I, I don't delve into this like so much is it's, uh, it is, po- it is impossible to a hundred percent interpret prophecy that comes from God. And, um, some of the Israelites, they tried to interpret some things and they, they miss Jesus because of some of their expectations or interpretations. I'm all, I'm all. I'm all for looking into it and seeing what it means and studying it. I don't want to set it aside. But sometimes when we get to a place where we're like, this is what it means 100%. That's what I'll look for. That's what I'll expect. We can get really tripped up. um, And we can get really hyper-focused on these things. Like you can go online right now. You can find more people on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram talking about end times than anything else. Um, It's a a really hot topic. Um, so I'm not a hyper, someone who's hyper-focused on that. But also, um, this is the type of thing we don't ever talk about in the church. Like, it's in the Bible. Jesus says some stuff. John says some stuff. Daniel says some stuff. Like, everybody says some stuff. But we don't really talk about it. We skip over it because it's weird, right, maybe? And if you're visiting, you're like, it's one of those churches, right? And, yeah, we're one of those churches. I've got a date picked out. I've got some white gowns and some Kool-Aid. <laughs> All right? I'm just kidding. Um, but because it's not, because it's not typically, um, talked about, I mean, that's why I like going through the Bible. You have to talk about everything. And if you do talk about it in church, it's usually like a Sunday night or Wednesday night thing, you know, uh, so people can be forewarned, but it's in the word. So we're going to study it. Um, but just to give you a warning, this is going to be more of a broad stroke, um, study. Okay. So with that, let's read in Matthew 24. Uh, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he said? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. 
As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the, son, uh, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. From the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. No one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. 
and he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's our service for today. You guys go have lunch. Have a great time. Hope the conversation is um, animated. All right, so that was fun. All right, so this teaching to the disciples, as I said, is called the Olivet Discourse because the majority of it takes place on the Mount of Olives, the very place that the prophet Zechariah predicted the Messiah would stand when he comes to establish his kingdom. Um, But it actually begins, the conversation begins as they're walking away from the temple after Jesus' last discussion with the Pharisees, with the temple leaders, don't want to leave the Sadducees out. Um, And as they're leaving, the disciples are pointing to the temple and pointing, uh, showing Jesus, like, look at the temple. Um, Because it's kind of, it's kind of a big deal. Um, These, these guys are from Galilee. Uh, They're fishermen. It's a small fishing area. Um, And so coming, they would have probably come into Jerusalem from time to time for the festivals, right? But it's got to be like going into the big city. You know, the temple is, 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 it's like going to New York City for the first time, and you're just amazed at how, how much everything is so big and everything smells like trash. No, I'm just kidding. doesn't smell like trash anymore. I went recently. It just smells like weed everywhere. Um, but, you know, it's like this, this is so big and amazing. Um, and the temple grounds are, like, huge and beautiful. They took up about 35 acres. Um, this is the second temple uh, built by Herod to pacify the Jews. Um, it, it was built of white marble that's plated by gold. The pillars were solid blocks of marble in one piece that were th- like 38 feet high. So there's these massive, beautiful stones. Some of the angle stones have been measured from 20 to 40 feet in length um, and weigh over 40 tons. It's quite the mystery of ancient engineering. So it was something to see. It was something to see, especially for these uh, young men. And the disciples are quite taken by it. Like, look at this, Jesus, look at the temple. But in a continuation of Jesus' discussion last week concerning the holiness of items rather than the holiness of the one who makes things holy, think about it for a second, he tells them that even this will not stand long. Even the temple, even this thing that's beautiful, that, it, that, it, that is for God, it, it will not stand. The physical things won't stand. And he says, in fact, not one stone will be left on top of the other. And this comes to pass 40 years later when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD. And the advice that Jesus that comes later in this chapter, when Jesus says, uh, flee to the mountains, don't go back to your house, this, this advice is not followed, as instead the people cram into the city, um, and there's a very long siege, um, and most died of famine. Uh, at the end of the siege, like 97,000 Israelites were taken captive, but there was um, over a million who died within the city. Um, And actually, the Roman historian Josephus tells us when the Romans entered to plunder the city, to go in the houses and take stuff, it was so grotesque that they left without taking anything. They just left the city. Um, But Jesus isn't just talking about that moment that was to come shortly after. Um, With prophecy, uh, there's always a statement in the beginning that verifies the truth of what's to come later, right? If, if Jesus just says, and I'll, and I'll come and just says something in times, and we have like how long to wonder 
if Jesus is correct in his predictions, if he's a true prophet, when, they, when a prophet prophesies, there's something that will come to pass shortly that the people can see. This is a verification that the prophet knows what he's talking about, and then, and then we can trust what, what they say is to come later. Okay, and if someone ever wants to prophesy over you or, or, or give you a word, when someone has, because like people, you know, un, people are people. And <laughs> some people prophesy, and, and it's true, and some people say, hey, I have a word for you, and they, and they tell you, and you're like, well, that's not true. Not because I didn't like it, but just like, you know, God will be like, I really want you to go to Florida. And then someone's like, hey, I really feel like God wants you to be here with me. And, and stay with me and help me in this ministry that, that I'm in doing by myself. And you're like, I love you, but that's not what God's telling me. Um, and when there's someone prophesies, there's like a, there's usually some, or no, there's a word that, that God speaks to you that you know the truth of it because it's speaking to your heart, saying some, something you haven't told anyone um, that no one would know. Um, can I use you example for a second? It's that time that I'm going to, I'm going to, because it's all for the glory of God. Um, uh, we went once, um, I can't remember his name, but, um, uh, and this guy was prophesying, and um, he said, uh, and he had Daisy stand up, um, and she stood up, and he said, uh, am I going to cry about this for real? Um, and he's like, the other day, you were alone in your room. And you were crying about this, this, and this. And God says this about that. And, you know, I'm her boyfriend. She told me everything. But she didn't. I'm, we're married now. Just say no. Uh, <laughs> at the time. But she didn't. But, um, and she hadn't told me that. So when he's telling her this, I'm like, is that true? I mean, is that? You didn't tell me? Oh, no, not really. But, but by, by the way she was crying, I was like, that's true. The things he's telling her she had done in her room is absolutely true. It's a confirmation like only God could know this. Only God could know this. Her parents were there. They, hadn't, they didn't know. And so there's a confirmation of like when God is speaking to you through somebody, there's a confirmation of like they say something like that hits you, and you're like, man, that's from God because no one could know that was on my mind. No one could know that's on my heart. That's what I use to, to verify. Um, so... Um, lost my place there. Um, so, uh, so that's what's happening here. Jesus is talking about something that is to come shortly and something that is to come again. Um, and the beginning of this prophecy, um, concerns this event to come shortly in, in 70 AD to verify the truth of what will come later to establish Jesus as a prophet. He's still the son of, he's the son of God, but this is why we know he's prophet, priest, and king. There, there's elements of each. He's all prophet, priest, and king, the son of God. And things like this will happen again and again. They're like birth pains. Birth pains begin, and they're farther apart, but then they get closer together, and they get stronger and stronger. So I've been told. Don't know firsthand. And th so this is why Jesus warns his disciples and us to not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. He says such things will happen again and again. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famine, earthquakes. And the Greek word for famine and earthquakes actually translates to global warming. I'm just kidding. Um, no. But there'll be famines and earthquakes. 
I like if you look at World War One, um, they called it the war to end all wars. Like this is the biggest war we've ever seen, the most atrocious thing we've ever seen. It, it's the war to end all wars, and they thought that that would bring about the end. But then what happened? World War Two, right? I'm probably gonna be in World War Three in a little bit, right? Not a prophet, not predicting it. Um, but it says nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And this might seem like the same thing twice, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. But actually, the word that's used here for nation against nation is the Greek word ethnos, which is ethnicities or ethnic groups. Ethnic group against ethnic group, kingdom against kingdom. This doesn't include the people of God. Just there'll be hatred in the world. It says there are, the hatred will grow. There'll be all kinds of reasons to hate others. But Jesus says, do not be alarmed. These things will happen. They've happened again and again. But they will ramp up. But do not be alarmed. But be watchful and be careful. Because there will be some claiming to be the Messiah. And Jesus says, don't even, if you hear someone claiming to be the Messiah, don't even come out. Just don't even go out to see them. So I'm always so confused I don't know if you guys watch probably TV and documentaries, and there's all these, like, cult leaders that are, like, claimed to be Jesus, right? Like David Koresh, right? The only reason anyone knew what Waco was before Magnolia. David Koresh was a cult leader who claimed to be Jesus. And I'm like, why do people even fall into that? Because they should know that Jesus said, no. When I come back, everyone will know. Everyone will know. You'll be able to see. So don't, someone says they're Messiah, don't follow him. Um, don't even go out to see them. When, he, when Jesus returns, all will know. And I think it's important to point out that the disciples, when they ask, what will be the sign of your coming? Like the way they're envisioning this and the way that we envision this is very different because um, they don't think he's going to die and resurrect and, and then come back again. There was no concept of a second coming. Their thought was the Messiah will come and establish his kingdom. When, when the Messiah comes, dominate the world, set up his kingdom. There was no thought of a second coming, which is why people don't believe necessarily Jesus is Messiah or he's not doing what they're expecting because they're expecting him to establish a kingdom right now because they interpreted the prophecies that way, which is why I won't ever say this is what it means 100%. Um, and so when they're saying, like, uh, when will you, uh, what will be the sign of your coming? They're thinking that he's going to go away because of all the, the heat that's going on, that he's going to go away, establish an army, and come back. That's what they're thinking, like in the physical. They're not thinking he's going to like die and resurrect and then go back to heaven and then return. They're thinking, it's like in the sign of your coming, they're thinking he's going to go get an army and come back. And so that's what they mean when they're asking that question. And we, but we now know, and they knew after the resurrection, because he tells them that there will be a second coming, which we are all looking forward to and waiting for, the second coming. But it says, before that, we'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and hated by all nations. And it says, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And I want to point out two things about this passage. It says many will be persecuted and put to death. So I'm going to talk about, first of all, I'm not a fan of like, um, like I said, 100% prophecy, but also like saying, um, 
like I think sometimes in Christianity you have to be in, in one camp or the other. And I, I often think that both camps have a part of it right. And there's a there's like a pre-tribulation camp and a post-tribulation camp. Has anyone everyone decided where they're at? Pre and post? You gotta know. People are gonna ask you. As a Christian, are you pre are you pre or, or post tribulation? Um I think we all wanna believe, and I'm not I'm not saying this isn't true. I'm not trying to ruin your day. I think we all want to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because that's what feels best. Um, and I'm not saying that won't be the case. Not. I've been through Revelation. It's a good time. You should do this. Go through Revelation. Highlight in one color the things that support pre and highlight in another color the things that support post. And you will see support for either. Um, I saw evidence for each. Um, but this is why I'll never, and I'm not really going <laughs> to teach about pre or post tribulation rapture because it's not important because um, it's not important it really isn't because we put our faith in something we put our faith in an idea of what's going to happen and if it doesn't happen that way we like blame jesus or something but the reason that i'm not gonna uh teach like because people say like it's 100 percent, it's 100 percent pre-tribulation and what happens if it's not and you're like well maybe i'm not saved i don't know what's happening like um Maybe someone somewhere disappeared, but no one around me and not me. Um, I, I think that throughout time, now when God pours out a cup of his wrath, there are people, there's instances where pe the people of God have been saved prior, like Noah. But there's also been people of God who have had to live through that, like Daniel, when they come and, and sack Babylon, both ways. But throughout history, when Christians have been persecuted and killed in awful ways, including the disciples, the apostles, um, the prophets, Jesus himself. If you remember, Nero lined the streets with burning Christians on crosses. Um, and, and I think people probably thought in each of these instances that it was the last days because the persecution was so strong and so violent and things were so awful. But God let them die in those ways, and I'll tell you why. Each time there was a great persecution and hatred of the church and persecution of the church, the church was growing by leaps and bounds. Everybody that was hung up, people saw that is a faithful. What would make them die for this? What would make them go through that for this? And God saved even more through that. And so if it is, if it does happen where it's a post-tribulation it's not because God doesn't love us and desire to save us, but because he desires to save many. Um, and he might deliver us because he loves us so much, but it says God so loved the world um, that he gave his only uh, son. So he might do it that way. Just some thoughts. Um, my, my, my idea and things of this is like hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Um, it also says in this chapter, in this passage, that many will turn away from the faith. Many will turn away from the faith. I don't see how we can claim once saved, always saved, amongst other scriptures in the Bible, but it says people will turn away from the faith. People who, who are turned towards the faith will turn away from it. And that, that doesn't bring me joy. I think, I think we get really, ex sometimes we can get too excited about um, people who aren't saved going to hell and people who are false going to hell, right? Probably everyone here has some Christian in their mind who've hurt you and you just can't wait for them to be exposed as false and go to hell. 
right? Raise your hand, show of hands. No one's going to do it because we don't really hope that. But, um, but it says people will turn away from the faith. Um, I, I talked to a pastor recently, and he's um, not going to say in the end stages of his ministry, but um, kind of looking at um, kind of and like ending the career as as a pastor, um, very old in age, and and he was talking, he was preaching, like we can't just say a prayer and be done. We have to be believers. We have to be followers. Um, and afterwards, he came to back, and I said, "Hey, man, um, I totally agree with you." Um, and he said, "I'm glad you got it right so young." I was like, "I'm not as young as you think," but he said, "I'm glad you got it right so young because I've taught that for most of my life, and I think about it all the time." I think about who I might have condemned by not telling them the truth. I think, and you can just see on his face like this, like, I'm going to stand before God for, for misleading people. I think about this. Is it the truth? And so um, it's important. It says the faithful will turn away. And the word used here, it says for turn away, the faithful will turn away or fall away, you might say in your Bible, is scandalizo, which is more like, being trapped, more like being trapped. The faithful will be caught in a trap. Let's talk about the church, the faithful. This isn't talking about the world. The church, the faithful, many will be caught in a trap of false teachings by false prophets who will deceive many people. And it's talking about the church. It says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And the word for wickedness, your Bible might say lawlessness, is actual, it's actually anomia, um, and it means lack of law. And like, so you might be looking at, I know as a kid, I was like, so when we start not having laws, that's when I'll know, because I've always been looking as a kid. Um, very fun life. You coming? No. But it means lack of law, but it's talking about God's law, a lack of God's law. The church will not obey the law of God. God says, if you love me, keep my commands. And he says they'll be lawless. Their love will grow cold, so they'll be lawless. They don't love him. They don't keep his commands. It's talking about the church. And I think our love for him has grown cold. And that's why we have so many teachings within the church. We have so many traps and so many snares that are really focused heavily right now in there being no sin, that you can um, do whatever you want and, and, and still be a pastor or a priest. And I'm just talk, not talking about, I'm, you know, it's easy to go talk about just homosexuality, but, like, there's so much. There was sin in the church long before that we've just accepted. Like, this is in everybody church, right? But it says the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And Jesus says, when the abomination that causes desolation is standing in the holy place, this is a sign. Uh, this has happened already, and it will happen again. And each time it occurred, things were worse. Each time it occurred, just like birth pains, closer together and, and, and more difficult. It began um, when Antiochus sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple to the god Zeus, um, and he turned the temple's priestly quarters into brothels. 
if that's not an abomination. I know what is. And so it's kind of interesting to me for people who don't believe in God that everyone watches this little area, this little area in the globe. Everyone's expecting that the end will come, whether they believe in, 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 a, in Jesus coming back being the end, but they watch this little area knowing that's where it will start. That's why everyone's on edge right now, because there's things going on there. It all comes back. It all comes back. The whole world, it all comes back to the temple in Jerusalem. And even now, and whenever, whenever someone, like, destroys the temple or there's, they're, they're fighting over the temple, there's always something that's done to desecrate the temple. Right now, there's a Muslim mosque atop the Temple Mount. Um, it's that big gold dome. So many different peoples have, like, attacked the temple, dismantled the temple, attacked God's people and God's people alone. Even now, the world is watching and waiting to see what will happen within the city of Jerusalem because we expect the end will come from there. And there are signs that we are getting closer. Um, The first sign is there will be a pilot who flies for pan-continental, his name is Ray Steele, and he looks like that. So if you've seen this man, you know the end is near. Um, he also might look like Kirk Cameron. Um, no, but the creation of Israel in 1948, that Israel became a nation again, is a definite sign. Um, and it says, when Jesus returns, it will be soon and sudden. The earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, and there will be a loud trumpet call, and he will gather the elect. And when I read this, even as a Christian, it's not like when I was younger and I wasn't living for the Lord, I remember I would be like riding in a car on drugs, and just every so often I looked up at the sky, and I was like, would think, what if Jesus came back right now? Am I ready? I know the truth. I knew the truth the whole time. I just hated him. I know the truth. What if he comes back right now? What if I looked up and there he was? Would I be one of those mourning? Because I'm not ready. I always thought there'd be a later. Um, and I would think I got to get off these drugs. I, I, I got to at some point. I got At some point, I know I've got to get back to Jesus because it terrified me. Because when, when he returns, that's what it'll be. it'll be like, great joy for some and great mourning for others. And Jesus says this will happen soon. And we can say for them, because of the, um, the Roman siege in Jerusalem, some of those things did happen soon. And it will come soon. The end will come soon. But time for God is very different for, than time for us. Um, in the great redemption story uh, in the Bible that continues into now, In God's great plan for us, there are stages from beginning to fulfillment, beginning to end. First stage is is creation to the fall of Adam. Everything operated as it should. Everything was perfect until sin entered the world, and that started the next stage. And then you have Adam to Noah, where sin becomes so rampant, God destroys most of the world and starts over with a family. Then you have Noah, the recreation, to Abraham when people started to um, create and follow their own gods. And so God chooses a man to create a people and make a covenant, make a covenant people. 
Um, and then you have Abraham to Moses, where he, he takes those people, where they become a nation, where they, um, they're going to inherit this land um, and become the people God has promised they would be. And then you have Moses to John the Baptist, where the law is given, um, and the people are taught God's ways and his laws, what holiness is, what righteousness is. And then John declares the Messiah is coming, the beginning of another stage where things will be different. And then you have the sixth stage, which is Jesus to Jesus, which is Jesus to the millennial kingdom. When uh, it's open to Gentiles and the gospel will be preached to all people. And then the last stage is like the thousand year reign to recreated heavens and earth where time ends um, and goes into eternity. And so if you look at that, in those stages, seven stages, since Jesus, till the, it's preached throughout the world, till the millennium kingdom, we're in stage six. So in God's timing, we are close. We're in that sixth stage. But no man knows the day when he'll return. We'll be sudden. In fact, if someone, there's always like these predictions, like the world will end in 2012. And I'm like, no, it won't. Now I know because God said no one would know. And so if you say it's then, not true, right? I had all these kind of things as a kid. I, I don't know. Maybe I do study <laughs> end times a lot. Um, but Jesus says, even the angels in heaven don't know. He also says, nor do I, only the Father. And you can say, okay, you've got the Trinity. How can, how can God know, the Father, but Jesus doesn't know? And is that Jesus, remember when Paul uh, is writing and he says, I choose only to know Christ. Jesus, in coming to earth, he chooses not to know. He came to live as a man, and he chose not to know some things, um, to live in our weakness. And one of our weaknesses is to not know everything. Um, and so Jesus chooses not to know. Um, but when Jesus does return, he says it'll be sudden. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left behind. Wish we'd all been ready. DC talk. Um, he'll come when we do not expect, and so we should always be ready, which I don't believe that the people of God are ready for the, for the return. And I want to address two things specifically concerning the end and readiness. I think a lot of Christians believe that Jesus is coming back soon, that he is coming back very, very soon. Um, many Christians have become to have started to prepare for trials and persecution, right? Um, and this has all happened before. Christians have, have thought this before and done it before, and I'm not, I'm not discrediting it. Um, but we look around and we see where things are headed. And we, with, with the world, with the sin, um, with the church, and we think this, these are some signs. Um, but I think that when we do that, most Christians, it becomes fear and anxiety and worry about what's going to happen before Jesus comes back. And so people are taking precautions, um, storing up food, right, buying guns so you can hunt. Um, there's a large market for, for things online, for things like this, for food, for, like, bug-out bags, um, so you can, like, get out as quick as possible, right? Um, I know someone very close to me who, like, gets a, gets, has a bug-out bag, but he's always, like, talking to Alexa, and I'm like, that doesn't really, you're going to, like, go hide and be like, I got my bug-out bag, Alexa, give me a map to the mountains in North Carolina, like, FBI's going to know, they watch that stuff, come on. And I tell him, I tell him, I'm like, well, you got to get a bug out bag, you got to get rid of Alexa, man. Come on, 
not like advice. Some people would be like, I'm getting rid of this Alexa. My pastor told me to be ready. We need bug out bags and I get rid of Alexa. But I think, and, and, I, and I don't see a problem with being, being ready for that. I think that COVID kind of um, showed us that there is not such thing as an infinite supply of food or toilet paper, <laughs> right? Bidets, the way to go. But we did, we did. Uh, we, we started to realize, hey, there's not an infinite stock, but we also realized how far governments would go in shutting down churches, what they were willing to do. Um, we, we saw it in Canada a lot, and people say, oh, maybe, maybe. We, I mean, there was a pastor in Tampa who had a church serve and was arrested, and he was let go, and charges dropped, but he was arrested at first. And so people see this, and you're like, man, um, we might lose some of our rights, um, and so I do see wisdom in being prepared, but, but, as people are preparing for the end times, you know what I haven't really seen? I haven't seen a huge uptick in telling people about Jesus. I'm seeing a lot of saving up for ourselves. I'm not seeing a lot of reaching out to save others. I haven't seen people be like, oh, you know what? I don't care what the school says. I'm going to tell people about Jesus because Jesus is coming soon. You know what? I don't care my work says. I'm going to tell people about Jesus because Jesus is coming soon. We don't see that in any way. We don't see like, man, we've got to get out there. We've got to witness. We need to pour our money. This, this money is not going to last forever. We need to pour our money into ministries. We need to pour our money in, in, into, into this or that or this because we can't keep it. We may as well try to save as many people as we can. Wouldn't Jesus do that? I'm not, telling you to go empty. I'm not telling you to go empty your bank account, but I'm just saying we are still called to save the lost. We're not called to, to hide away in a bunker and prepare for that and not tell a single person about Jesus. If we believe Jesus is coming, we should be on the streets everywhere telling people about Jesus and not living in fear and anxiety and preparing for the worst. We should be preparing for the best. We should be preparing for the best and wanting every single person to be involved in the best thing that is coming. Which is the other thing I want to point out is that Jesus coming back is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I think even as people prepare or expect or hope, I, I think most people aren't looking forward to it or hoping Jesus comes back. Most people, even Christians, we don't really want him to come back. We want him to come back, just not right now. Not in our lifetime, right? Look, Jesus, I want you to come back. I just want to get married first. Jesus, I want you to come back, but I just want, I just want to have kids first. Jesus, I want you to come back, but I want to see my kids have kids. Jesus, I want you to come back, but I just want to go to prom. I've wanted to go to prom my whole life. Right? No, we have these milestones. Jesus, I want you to come back after this milestone, after I can experience this thing that I've been looking forward to because I've actually been looking forward to this earthly thing more than I've been looking forward to your return. And I think there's a problem with that. I think there's a problem with that. We don't have an understanding of what it will be like when Jesus comes back. It will be good. We don't want Jesus to come back so we can experience earthly milestones. Right? And Jesus' return is the ultimate milestone. And when he comes, he establishes a thousand-year kingdom here on earth, so you'll still be here. Right? You'll be able to have prom just without chaperones because things will be good. Right? When Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, let's just get this in our head right now, it will be far greater than any dream you have. 
be far greater than any hope you have. It'll be far better than any experience you've had or are looking forward to. It will be the best thing ever. And there might be some persecution and some trial before we get there, but guess what? It's going to be worth it. You know how I know? Because Jesus says it's like birth pains. My coming will be like birth pains. No one looks forward to birth pains. No one's like, man, I just can't wait to have a baby and experience that thing that looks so traumatic. You know, and then you go to like this thing where they're like teaching you how to breathe and like we want you to watch this video of this woman screaming her face off for an hour. And you're just like, I want to do this. No one's like, I want to do this. And all the guys are like, I'm so, I will hold your hand. I am so glad it's not me. Right? Some people fear the birth pains. Fear the birth pains. Um, but after they go through that experience, and some people say, I'm never going to do that again. That was the worst experience in my life. I'm glad we have this baby. I'm not going to do it again. But after time goes by, the joy of the reward for enduring that pain is so great that they want to do it again. Because what's happening right now is so great and so long-lasting and just bringing you joy and reward in each day that you're like, that was really bad, but I'll do it again, and I'll do it again, and I'll do it again. And if you're Catholic, I'll do it again, and I'll do it again, and I'll do it again. Because I know now that that pain brings great reward. And that's what Jesus says it'll be like. There might be some pain. It might get worse. It might get closer together. But the joy that comes after is so great. You would go through it again. You would go through it time and time again. You shouldn't fear it. And what happens is after you, after you go through it, you don't fear it as much because you know what comes afterward. You know, I'm just going to hold that baby in my arms. And that baby will bring joy. And sometimes they don't bring joy. But no, I'm just kidding. But, but the joy far surpasses the memory of the pain. And the joy lasts longer than the pain. No one would say it's not worth it. So this is my message. If things ramp up, don't fear. You see things around you, don't have anxiety. Don't worry about what's going to happen. Because what's going to ultimately happen is going to be good. It's going to be the best thing ever. But it changes. If things ramping up changes nothing for us in our day-to-day. God called us to follow him, to be in his word, to worship him, to tell the world about him. That hasn't changed. He doesn't say, hey, listen, I want you to sit. I want you to, I want you to like just relax and build up. And then when I start to come, then you start to do these things. No, that's what we've been supposed, that's what we've supposed to been doing. And none of that changes. None of it. We shouldn't have to ramp up our witnessing. We shouldn't have to ramp up our study of the word because it should already be here for being obedient to Jesus. It doesn't change anything in the day-to-day. We're supposed to seek his face, follow him, watch for false teachers. Not one thing changes. So don't fear. Don't worry. You will see things you don't like. You will, you will, you will hear, you will, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Time and time again doesn't change anything we're called to do in the day-to-day that God's called us to do, and it only brings about goodness. So stick to it. Endure to the end, and do not fear. Do not fear. Don't make decisions based on fear or anxiety or worry. God, however he does it, is still watching over us. He still loves us. He still has a plan for us, and when he comes, 
will be the end of those, those birth pains and the beginning of great joy. Lord, I just thank you that you are coming. I just thank you that you gave us this warning not to just go out and, and, and look. If people see the Messiah, you said, you will know. I thank you that you gave us a roadmap to, to, to being your child, Lord. And it's so easy. It's just so easy. You've made it so easy by dying on the cross for our sins, Lord. You've given us ultimate forgiveness, and all we have to do is follow. And I just pray, I just bind right now the fear and anxiety that's been occurring within the church over, over end times, over persecution, over your return. Lord, I just pray that we would obey you when you say, do not fear. Do not fear. Cast all your cares upon me, Lord. We cast our cares upon you. We cast our worries and our fears, our day-to-day worries, our, our grand fears, Lord, because we trust you. We know that you love us. We know that you love us deeply. We know you're willing to die for us, Lord. And so we can trust in your plan. We can trust in your goodness. We can trust in your faithfulness because we've seen it. And we should not be so faithless to doubt your goodness and faithfulness but when you have shown us nothing but goodness and faithfulness. I thank you for the joy we will experience when you come. And I just pray that we'll be faithful in the day today, Lord. We love you and we thank you and we praise you, Lord. May our hearts and our minds and our eyes be set on you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.